Cynthia. Hi, I'm Cynthia. How are you doing today? I am doing well. I'm re- currently recording this from a mile high city. So, you know, it's really sunny here. Not what I'm used to. <laughs> are you having an absinthe cocktail? I am. I have made the green fairy cocktail for this episode. I believe you've done the same. I have. It's delicious. Yeah, it's a, we'll put a a link in the show notes so everyone can go find the recipe but it's a good straightforward uh, cocktail to enjoy absinthe it has absinthe and a little bit of lemon juice some bitters and some egg whites did the recipe came from the Difford's guide is that correct that is correct and one of the things i like about the green fairy cocktail is that it's what you'd call an absinthe forward recipe, right? So a lot of absinthe recipes call for just a glass rinse of absinthe just to get the aroma. But this is actually the only spirit in the cocktail is absinthe. That's why I like it because it's delicious and straightforward. Yeah, me too. You know, a lot of people think that absinthe is gross. And I think that is because when the ban was lifted, people raced to market and a lot of crop synths came out and we didn't really understand what absinthe was supposed to taste like. But there is a reason why absinthe was more popular than wine in France, and it's because it's supposed to be delicious. That's right. So one thing we want to do in this podcast is help you understand how to drink absinthe in addition to the fascinating history of it. So check out the Green Fairy cocktail. Yeah, I agree with you, Absinthia, that a lot of people don't know what absinthe is supposed to taste like. And when they're having it for the first time, if it's a good high quality absinthe, they're, you know, pleasantly surprised by its unique taste and the qualities it has. It's very flavorful and bright. Uh, and I think a lot of people who fear that it might taste like licorice don't know that it can be a really bright, sunny flavor to it. People who may or may not have had absinthe, they take a sip of mine, which I so carefully craft to not need sugar to taste good. And they, I mean, you've seen it. Oh, I actually like it is so often the response. So it's always nice to be able to share that with people. I also find it really interesting that when we're talking about your brand and we're at events and talking to audience, we just get all of these interesting questions about like, what is absinthe and what makes it unique? And that is what we're going to be talking about in today's episode. We're going to talk about absinthe's qualities and its ingredients and how it's distilled. And then we're also going to talk about a fun fairy tale of its origin story starring a doctor who may or may not be a villain in the Henry Odd sisters. (laughs) I am so excited to talk about the origin story of absinthe. We have delved into the archives. Uh, We've translated some documents from French. And one of the reasons why it's important to me to share this story is because it's my love of art history that got me to absinthe in the first place. And I think it's interesting to learn from the archives that we've read where we've translated documents from French and gone beyond the Wikipedia page and the Google searches to really find out who created absinthe, why we think other people created it. There are just so many different truths out there. And it's interesting to learn what the real story is and why the history was crafted the way it was. That's right. 
it is a very fascinating story. And it's a good example of how written history can be prolonged by people repeating it, right? And I'm also excited that we've got better research out there and researchers doing a lot of the work in France and Switzerland. And I just want to let everyone know who's listening, we will have our resources uh, linked in the show notes for the ones that are available. All right, well, let's get started, Cynthia. So let's talk about what makes absinthe unique. We know that the basics of absinthe is a distilled spirit with the trinity of herbs, and that is a 50 to 90% alcohol base. But can you tell us more about where absinthe comes from? Yes, I can. I want to describe what distilling is first for anyone who doesn't know. So we use big copper stills to produce my absinthe. And what distillation really is, it's the process of separating alcohol from water through evaporation and condensation. So we take a grape distillate, we heat that up, it's got the herbs in it, and parts of that are captured. And this process, it purifies and concentrates the remaining alcohol. So then the final spirit is produced. And that's basically what distillation is. Thank you, Cynthia, for describing the distilling process for us. Uh, I know it wasn't exactly clear to me when I first started working with you, like how spirits are distilled for our consumption. I do know that one of the things that makes absinthe distinct is this holy trinity of herbs, which is wormwood, fennel, and anise. What do you know about wormwood? Wormwood, there's actually a lot of different types of wormwood. We're talking about Artemisia absinthium, the Latin name for wormwood, which has a really long history. I mean, it was used during the plague to clear the air. They burnt it and it removed the smell. It was also used to keep away evil spirits. And sediments have actually been found in caves in the country of Georgia from the upper Paleolithic times. Yeah, and we have some facts out there telling us that absinthe was the act of steeping wormwood leaves in wine. And the absinthe as we know it today, with the distilling of a grape-based spirit with the herbs, is thought to have appeared only at the end of the 18th century. Yes, that is true. If I can read a couple sentences from the Book of Absinthe, A Cultural History by Phil Baker, he says, there were a number of wormwood drinks before absinthe proper. Absinthites or wormwood wine made by steeping leaves in wine rather than fermenting them was drunk in the Renaissance, just as it had been in Greek and Roman times. And then it goes on to say, absinthe as we know it today is thought to have appeared only at the end of the 18th century. Well, like most herbs and plants that exist on this planet, they have been around for centuries, right? Including fennel, which is a flowering plant in the carrot family, and it's closely related to cumin, dill, caraway, and anise. Fennel's nice because its flavor profile is a bit of licorice a bit piney with some camphor-like notes, but fennel is not related to the licorice root. It's an entirely different plant. The ancient Egyptians used fennel as both a food and a medicine and a snake bite remedy in ancient China. It was also hung over doorways to drive away evil spirits during the Middle Ages. So already two herbs out of this trio for absinthe is thought to help drive away evil spirits from us. 
that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Isn't that great? I think you and I could both use that. And our third herb in the Holy Trinity is anise, right? It is. Anise, anise seed, is what's actually used in the making of absinthe. They have similarities with like fennel, licorice, tarragon, but it's a completely different plant. The plant family that it's from is called Apiaceae, A-P-I-A-C-E-A-E, the Apiaceae family. And the flavor profile is earthy and licorice and it's also used... Have you had ouzo or sambuca before? I have. Yeah. So that's anise. That's distilled anise. The difference between ouzo and sambuca is that they don't have the trinity of herbs like the absinthe does. They're just distilled anise or anise. You can pronounce it either way. I think it's also used in some root beers, which I think sounds delicious because, you know, I like it. Yeah, and anise seed... Not star anise that's used in absinthe, right? That's correct. And there is a well-known brand of absinthe that I just learned use star anise and not anise seed, and so it is not considered a true absinthe. So the anethol is produced from the anise, and it's sort of mildly spicy and aromatic, and that's what causes the louche in absinthe and an ouzo. In fact, anything that has anise in it, when you add water, it adds color. It adds color or louche? That's what the louche is. So when you add water, it adds color to the absinthe and it gets cloudy and a milky green for the absinthe vert, the green absinthe, or a milky blue for an absinthe blanche, a clear absinthe. Right. And the term louche is French for opaque, but Louche, the actual term of louching is called the Oswald ripening. Yes. Yeah, so the Oswald ripening is when you're adding water, the water separates the essential oils from the herbs producing the milky color like you just described, right? Um, so it's William Oswald. He first described this effect in 1896. I'm just going to read this little section here, the Oswald ripening effect occurs when an added ingredient creates a reaction that no longer puts the initial compound in equilibrium, either due to the pH level, the temperature, or common ions changing, the ability for the alcohol to bond with the oil. As alcohol and water share relatively the same pH level, the most significant changes in the louche effect occur from temperature. Colder absinthe will cloud up faster than absinthe that is room temperature or warmer. As more cold water is added, the more the louche effect will become increasingly visible. Uh, I assume this is the same process that happens for the ozo and the sambuca when you add the water, that the colder it is, the more louche is visible? It is, yeah. And often when I'm doing tastings, people say, well, does it have to be cold water? And absolutely, it sure does, because you will really see a difference. The louche is, is much more robust with cold water, and that will change the flavor of it. The cold water brings out, the louche opens up those botanicals and it's just so yummy. In order to be an authentic or a true absinthe, absinthe must be distilled. It must contain the trinity of herbs and it must not be artificially colored, artificially sweetened or have any herbs floating in the bottle. So a true absinthe must be fully strained before bottling, unsweetened, and unartificially colored. We use botanicals to color it 
green. In fact, one of them is a different type of wormwood that we haven't yet mentioned, which is a petite wormwood or an Artemisia pontica. Used for added color. Yes. And it sounds like this process is really similar to the gen distilling process where herbs are steeped after the spirit has been distilled. Yeah, exactly. And when people are having a hard time understanding what absinthe is, I tell them to think about gin because they're really similar, but with different herbs, right? So gin is uh, juniper berries and absinthe is the trinity of herbs. Is there an industry standard? for absinthe or are these the guidelines for it those are the guidelines gin has a uh, legal definition i think we talked about this last episode gin has a legal definition absinthe does not but there is an understanding of what absinthe should be absinthe is also famous for thujon and i know now that i've worked with you and your company there's an industry saying thujon is fake news because once you distill it it disappears what's some more myths about Thujon that you know. Uh, so, yeah, one of the greatest myths is that absinthe will make you hallucinate. <sighs> like the effects are that it's neurotoxic, it's a convulsant, it's a hallucinogenic, and wormwood, Artemisia absinthium, was really blamed for that. So the recent studies have demonstrated that the amount of Thujon in absinthe it's not enough to cause all of those things that they said that absinthe would create, absintheism, and that really the potency of absinthe is basically the alcohol. That's right. And we'll have a whole episode down the line just about fusion and the scientific studies around fusion and absinthe in particular. Shall we get to the big juicy part of this podcast episode and talk about... I am so excited to get into this, Athea. Yeah, let's talk about what I like to call the green fairy tale, because it really is a tale, right? It sure is. It starts in Switzerland, and it stars these main characters, Henry Odd sisters, Dr. Pierre Ordinaire, Major Dubai, and Henry Louise Pernod. The main story we get about the origin of absence can be fairly consistent across different articles and um some books that we found, and the basic facts that you find on the internet. So I'm going to read a description of that here, and this comes from the Difference Guide. On his death, Dr. Ordinaire left the recipe for the drink and a substantial sum of money to his trusty housekeepers, the Henriad sisters. They made small batches of his potion and started hawking it as Dr. Ordinaire's absinthe. The doctor's tipple attracted the interest of another French expatriate, and lace merchant, Major Daniel Henry Dubai. After trying the drink, Dubai made an offer, Henry Odd Sisters, for both the recipe and their business. So, Cynthia, when you hear that statement, and I know you're well-versed in, in what this story is, but when you hear that, what does that bring up for you? Well, first, I love his name, Dr. Pierre Ordinaire. Like, that's just the best name. But I've heard that... The Henriad sisters were his housekeepers. They were his lovers. They just are not women in their own right. And that sort of always rubbed me the wrong way and made me feel, well, who were they really? And how did this guy create it? There's just no explanation of that. And that sort of like triggered this. There's got to be something more to this story. Right. It's almost like out of thin air, he had this recipe that he wrote down and just handed to them right before he died, right? And that 
they just went forth into the world to carry his message like good little female servants should be versus (laughs) perhaps they actually had a lot more to do with the mixture of the ingredients the levels of the ingredients like how much wormwood to how much fennel how much mace and the entire process for how it was made yeah and i've always had this sort of vision of these like witchy sisters somewhere in the swiss alps with herb making recipes and potions and you know a lot of it maybe was based on bible readings or whatnot and so it just that always seemed to me a little bit more authentic than this doctor just coming along and hiring them as this housekeepers and giving them the recipe. Right. It's also a good time to remind all of us that history has often excluded women from the stories, even when they were the ones who created something. And this is a really great case of that. At least they're mentioned in this story, but they're also they're not given the credit of their accomplishments for making the absinthe elixir what it is. Yeah. I mean, similarly, my daughter said to me yesterday, mom, a woman created computing and computers and no one's ever talked about that. So this is not a new story. In history, a lot of people and characters, especially female, especially people of color, and then more especially the female people of color get excluded. So that's why some of this is exciting that we've got really good researchers in France and Switzerland, mainly from the Museum of Absence and Jacques Klein, helping us uncover more facts around this story. And we will be quoting quite a bit from both of those resources today. Let's start with where does the story take place? It takes place in Switzerland in a place called Val de Travers in the second half of the 18th century. Val de Travers is characterized as a place where the watch industry was strong. It extends from a place called Lake Neuenberg across the Jura to the French border. There are asphalt mines and uh, rocks. The Crux de Van are features. There's sparkling wine and there's steam trains. I mean, it just sounds like a lovely place. But the star of the valley is what they called the Grunfei, which is Swiss for the Green Fairy. Okay, so I am, I'm going to read a little bit from Hideous Absinthe by Jad Adams. And it says, the common story features an old wise woman of the region, Mare Henriade, said to be Ordinaire's housekeeper and also his lover. She was bequeathed the recipe for absinthe by Dr. Ordinaire, who died in 1793. We've learned that Mademoiselle Henriade is actually Marguerite Henrietta Henriade. She was born in Cuvée in the Val de Chaffer, in 1734, and she died in 1801. She is described as a wise woman in her village of Neuchatel, Switzerland, as, like we said, Dr. Pierre Ordinaire's housekeeper, his lover, a woman who created absinthe, and as the woman he sold and gave his recipe to. She's also been called Mother Henriade. It was a disrespectful way to speak of someone in that time. Cynthia, do we know if the recipe that they had was the distilled absinthe that we think of today with the same amount of alcohol in it? Ah, 
So there's a historian, Eric Andre Clauser. He mentions a certain Lady Henrietta Henriade, from whom Major Daniel Henri Dubai Duval, who we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit, he bought 10 jars of absinthe from her, from Henrietta Henriade, on August 21st, 1799. Henrietta Henriade, she was single. She didn't have a declared profession, but she did amass some money and she had a cabaret and a house that she bought in 1788, not far from the home where she grew up. It was on Rue des Crêtes de l'Eau. And we can't say that she actually distilled absinthe at this address or at her brother's house in Rue de Crêtes on the immediate edge of the Arrues, a building known to have housed an absinthe distillery. A couple of her nephews were also distillers of absinthe extract, and that was what it was called in those days, the extract de absinthe. So there's lots of stories about Marguerite Henrietta Henriade and Dr. Pierre Ordinaire and their relationship. Let's get into Dr. Pierre Ordinaire to discover a little bit more about this. Athea, what do you know about Dr. Pierre Ordinaire other than having an amazing name? Well, I do know that after everything we find out, he is just actually ordinary. <laughs> so his name might be amazing. It, it does um, emphasize his actual stature in the story. Uh, the basic facts about Pierre Ordinaire is he was born in 1741 in Quingy, France. His parents were most likely day laborers or farmers. As mentioned before in the quote that you read, he was a French expatriate living in Switzerland. We don't have an exact time frame for when he arrived in Switzerland. And it's hard to tell if he was actually a medical doctor. And we don't have exact evidence to say what encouraged him to move to Switzerland. Uh, Jacques Klein, who's a wonderful French researcher and has done a lot of great work in advancing this origin story of absinthe. He's the one with the research that was all in French that we had translated and used for a lot of this information. That's right. And Jacques Klein believes that Ordinaire was persecuted in his country of Oregon for political or religious reasons. Now, there's a discrepancy in the year that Ordinaire has for a date of death. Um, some of the books mention 1793, some mention 1798, and we've got another date for 1821. And does that actually matter? It matters in some aspects of the story a little bit. Um, and I'll explain a little bit more in a moment about royalties for this absinthe recipe. But it probably mattered maybe to his family if he was very close to them because they would want to know the exact year or date that he passed away. Um, but if it was 1793 or 1798, then most likely the recipe that Dubai was using had already been, you know, was being purchased by the sisters. If Dubai was purchasing this recipe directly from Ordinaire and Ordinaire actually died in 1821, then there's a big overlap between when Dubai and Pernod start producing absinthe at a large scale. Pierre Ordinaire was living in Switzerland, and the story goes, he's said to have developed this recipe for a medicinal tonic. I'm going to be quoting a passage here from Absinthe, The Sip of Seduction. Dr. Pierre Ordinaire, an expatriate living in Switzerland, invented absinthe near the end of the 18th century. His intention was to formulate a digestive tonic that contained wormwood and other regional medicinal herbs. 
By the end of the 18th century, the medicinal properties of wormwood had long been known, but its intensely bitter taste made ingestion unpleasant. Dr. Ordinaire solved the dilemma with the relatively new science of spiritus distillation. Through his educated efforts, Dr. Ordinaire was able to create a proprietary digestive as tasty as it was efficacious. He shared the liquid alchemy with patients and guests who praised the benefits of his green wonder tonic. So there's a lot of the story out there that it's Dr. Ordinaire who took the time to figure out how this combination of the Holy Trinity of herbs worked together in order to make something that was delicious and usable as a digestive tonic. What Jacques Klein has found out is that Dr. Pierre Ordinaire may have not been a very stand-up citizen in Covey and that he was actually quite controversial. He was unable to provide documents showing that he was a doctor or a surgeon, and he was asked more than once to leave. And it was also very clear that he did not arrive from France with a recipe for absinthe elixir. So another great question that Klein and another one of our internet resources that we have, they both bring up this question. If Major Dubai, who's a really influential merchant in this village, bought the royalties for this absinthe recipe, why are there no historical records of Major Dubai paying Dr. Ordinaire royalties for the absinthe? There's only documented evidence that Major Dubai is paying royalties to the sisters, right? So it brings into this conclusion from a whole bunch of other people that Dr. Ordinaire was actually not involved in the recreation of the absinthe elixir recipe and actually had nothing to do with its process, how it was made, how it became popular. Um, some of the resources that they found in the archives were receipts, advertisements as well for the elixir. And we will also post links to those. So it sounds like Dubai had a lot of vision for what the potential of absence could be commercially and for non-medical purposes. Okay. So Athea, what you're saying is that this guy with the great name who has been credited in multiple places for creating absinthe was almost kicked out of his town, never proved to be a doctor and had may or may not have died <laughs> and never paid royalties or received royalties. There's nothing proving that he was involved in the creation of absinthe at all intriguing yeah so major dubai has a really interesting trajectory in the story i'll start by saying that he first had absinthe from the henriad sisters when he was traveling through cuvee in 1797. what he found was that it it cured indigestion it improved the appetite it was good for fevers and for chills and then, and I love this part, so he had this son, Marceline, and he had a daughter, Maria, who married, are you ready? Henri-Louise Pernod. So Major Dubai is now the father-in-law of Pernod. He's had absinthe through the Henriade sisters, and he created his own brand under the name Dubai de Père Afee in 1797. And what that means, that translates to Dubai father and sons. He was paying royalties, and we have proof of this, to Madame Henriade before distilling his own recipe. 
And then Jacques talks about him and Jacques says, it's impossible to say who was the first to produce or sell, but we know that absinthe produced in the Principality of Neuchatel was consumed beyond the country's borders and that it was exported overseas long before it was produced on an industrial scale. The pioneers of this adventure, more than two centuries old, were the Dubide and Pernod families, both established in Cuvée and Val de Trevere, where they opened the first distilleries before settling in Pontarlier to develop their respective production and supply a growing market. Today, only the Pernod house remains, the only one to have overcome the many obstacles that have arisen to hinder the influence of extracte absinthe. Henri Louis he lived from 1776 to 1851, and the presence of the Pernod family in Cuvée, Switzerland, can be traced back to 1798. So we've already established that he married the major's daughter, and this was somewhere around 1797 or 1798. And that happens to be the same year, the same year that the major decided to start distilling absinthe, and he and his sons were making the distillery, but Henry Louise actually had distilling um, knowledge. So that's why they brought him in. And they created the first absinthe distillery. And that was in 1798. And by 1805, they started a second distillery in France. And by 1896, the Pernod brand was producing 125,000 liters of absinthe a day. Wait, wait, wait. 125,000? thousand liters a day a day oh, i wish i had i that's how wish popular I had, it was i could create that much in a day that'd be amazing yeah i mean they were the biggest brand and it was the most popular drink well they were the only brands right that is i don't believe that's true there's a lot of knockoff brands right that happen and of course we have the great wine blight that's causing the production of absinthe with a great base spirit affecting sales and production. So there was a lot of knockoff absence happening, um, which is why some of it had a bad reputation. Uh, but that's a story for another episode. So, uh, okay, I have a quick question. So if I just want to tie back in the death dates of Dr. Pierre Ordinaire and figure out the timing here, like if Marcelon and Pernod and Dubai constructed their first distillery in 1805. Now that was the French distillery. So by 1805, they had opened up a second distillery in France. Uh, the first one is 1798 in Cuvée, Switzerland. Okay. And one of those early dates of ordinary dying was... 1793, I believe. 1793. Yeah. So that's... That, that's yeah. interesting because it just doesn't add up. It's fair to say that. Well, I think not a lot about Dr. Pierre Ordinaire adds up, which is what makes this story so fascinating that he's been credited. Yeah. So what do you think really happened in this? Like, why why is he getting all the credit and not the Henry Odd sisters? Well, I have a really cool paragraph to read about that that puts it into words that I have been thinking so this is back to the hideous absinthe book. Several cultural functions were served when Ordinaire and not Henriade was seen as the originator of modern absinthe. 
It meant the drink was a product of science rather than folk medicine. It became the creation of a man and not a woman. And if it had been made by a French man only staying in Switzerland, then it could be claimed as a French product and not a Swiss product. This creation of a culturally acceptable myth was characteristic of the whole long history of absinthe in which the green fluid accepted whatever desires were projected onto it and combined with them in an opaque, cloudy mix. All of a sudden, absinthe is made by a doctor, it's French, it's not made by women, it's not Swiss, and it changes the perception or the optics of absinthe into a more commercially acceptable product. And that is why I think Dr. Pierre Ordinaire was credited with it. Right. It's easier to market, promote, and sell this product if it's been made by a man and made by a French man who is a doctor in order to get the product onto French dinner tables into French cafes. Right. Yeah, exactly. So we've talked today about the trinity of herbs. We've learned that there's no licorice, that there's a specific type of wormwood that star anise is not used. It's anise seed, it's fennel seed, it's Artemisia absinthium. There's Artemisia pontica used for coloring and that women made absinthe. Yes, they brought us a delightful drink that we can enjoy now, thanks to the ban being lifted. Well, I'm sure glad that we have these resources today, right? That we can sit here from our respective places, my moment here in Denver, Colorado for the weekend, and you in Berkeley, California, and look at archives in Switzerland and France, or researchers who have gone to the archives in person and been able to find these facts and bring them to light for us. Um, which is a lot more than people could have done in the late 1800s, early 1900s, as the story was being spread. It's really great that we have access to information that historians and archivists have have put together so that we can look at the story that's been told for hundreds of years now and say, you know, it doesn't quite feel right and we have access to this information to figure out what actually went on. Yay, archivists, historians, and researchers. <laughs> Round of applause for y'all. And, and intuition, too, because I've always thought, I just, I just don't know about this ordinary guy. And truth is, like, that mayor wanted him to leave town. Like, we don't even know if he was actually a doctor. I mean, it just goes so much deeper than I actually thought. And we have the Henriade sisters and uh, Marguerite Henrietta Henriade to thank for absinthe. And, of course, Dubai and Pernod and Dubai's son for actually creating distilleries and making it and selling it. In the next episode, we're going to talk about the history of absinthe in France in the Algerian War and how it became so popular. Yes, and how and why absinthe was more popular than wine in Paris, in France, which is really something. We'll talk to you next time. Cheers. <laughs>